So let me just invite the Lord's presence for the word this morning. God, thank you. We love you. We love gathering in your presence and in your name. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here with us, that you are always with us, but you promise to be with us in a special way when we gather in your name, two or three. You love it when your children hang out together to worship you and to build each other up, to minister to one another. So we thank you for your presence here. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Get a lot of feedback here. Yeah. Should I switch mics? Okay. All right. I want to draw your attention to Mark chapter 1. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And uh, after he, he was baptized by John, and then John was put into prison. And it says in verse 14, Mark writes, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Some translations say the kingdom of God has come near. And we see Jesus beginning his ministry with this declaration, the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God. We talk a lot about the gospel. We talk a lot about the good news. But often what we've done is unfortunately we've reduced it to a gospel or good news of forgiveness only. Thank God the gospel includes forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. and it, But it involves so much more than that. And what Jesus' gospel that he came preaching was what he called the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God. And we see this filled throughout the gospels. Matter of fact, 51 times in the gospel, the phrase kingdom of God is referenced, is stated. 51 times, in an additional 31 times, all in the Gospel of Matthew, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven synonymously with kingdom of God as he's presenting it from a very Jewish perspective in his writing and in his gospel. And so we see this as the main theme in Jesus's ministry and in Jesus's preaching and teaching. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So for Jesus, it wasn't just about a message of the good news of the kingdom of God. He also demonstrated the good news of the kingdom of God. Wherever he preached the good news of the kingdom, it says that he also healed the sick and he freed those who were oppressed by demonic spirits. And this kind of went part and parcel with what he was doing. Jesus' primary message was the good news or gospel of the kingdom of God, and he always associated it with a demonstration of that. But what does kingdom of God mean? I mean, in modern times, we have nations and presidents and, and democracy and all of those types of things, and so kingdom seems like an antiquated idea. We might think of the United Kingdom with Queen Elizabeth, who seems to be not really running the country so much as Parliament is, but sort of a figurehead of the past, or maybe in recent uh, recent weeks and months, I've seen the new prince of Saudi Arabia being interviewed on television. That's much more of a, a kingdom run as maybe a kingdom would have been run in the past. But we tend to think of that as very kind of old-fashioned, antiquated approach, uh, the way there's a lot of oppression going on there under Islam and those types of things. So we tend to think of kingdom of God and a kingdom in, in a different way. But what does kingdom mean? 
And if you look at the word kingdom, and the word dom is where we get our word dominion from, it's the idea of it's the dominion of the king. It's the reign and rule, that which is brought under the authority of a king or a queen, is the kingdom. And so when Jesus comes talking about the kingdom of God, what he was not talking about is a physical city or a country or a geographic area. But what he was talking about was broader than all of that. For the ancient Jews, the idea of the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven was accepted as a spiritual reality. By the prophets and by the understanding that they had was the idea that there was only one true king and creator of the entire universe. And that was God. And as king, he rules the universe, but, and he will one day express that fully. But as the king of the universe, the way our story starts out is he creates humanity. He creates man and woman, and he creates them together in his image, and he puts them in this earth that he created, and he delegates authority to them. He says, you are going to be my regents. You're going to rule on my behalf over creation, and he delegated that authority to us. And the story went awry. The story went sideways. Because Satan comes in as the deceiver and deceives humanity into rebelling, disobeying God, alienating themselves from God. And by doing so, he usurps the authority that God gave to them and he sets up a counterfeit kingdom. He sets up his own rebel, renegade kingdom on the earth, the reign of darkness. And because of humanity's authority that God had delegated and a curse that was brought, he that God could have wiped his hands of us and wiped out the whole thing. But the story of God and humanity is that he loves us so much. And he was not done with us. And so right from the beginning, he gives us the gospel in seed form. When he says, he makes this promise that the seed of the woman will come and will crush the serpent's head. And he'll bite his heel with a wound, but he will crush his head. And we get the seed of the gospel, and then throughout the scriptures, the story unfolds. It's what theologians would call progressive revelation. We see an unfolding, an unrevealing revealing of the story of God throughout time. And so this concept is woven throughout history of the idea that God's kingdom was established in the earth. He delegated that authority to humanity. Satan deceived, separated us from God by our own sin, and then usurped the authority that God gave to us and set up his counterfeit kingdom of darkness. And God said, I will restore my kingdom. I will take back this planet and these people that I love. I will win them back and I will reconcile them to myself and I will restore the earth to its original good state. I will reestablish my dominion over the earth. And so he didn't abandon the planet. His grace and his mercy is still here, even though it's mixed with a lot of bad things that we still see that is present in the world because of the darkness that is here. And so we have this concept of the kingdom of God, and now they have been waiting. People of Israel and the people of God have been waiting for centuries. And the prophets have come, and they've revealed a little bit more and a little bit more about this Messiah King who would come, that God would reestablish his rule in the earth by raising up a Messiah King, an especially anointed king. And we learn more and more about him through the prophets in the Old Testament. 
and they're waiting for him. Their prayers are praying for him. Their songs sing about this anointed king who would come. He'd be the hope of the nations, and he wouldn't just be the ruler and king of Israel, but he would be the ruler and king of the entire earth as God's special region, as God's special delegate. Along the way, we see God has this special relationship with David. David is a king after God's own heart. He loves David. And so God makes a covenant with David. And he says, David, this Messiah king that I've been prophesied, that I've been telling you that's going to come, and I've been telling the prophets that's going to come, I'm going to make him your heir. It's going to be one of your descendants that is going to rise to the throne, and I'm going to restore my kingdom on your throne. I'm going to honor you as my friend in that way. Now the centuries pass. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem in relative obscurity. People don't know who he is. But then one day people are coming out and they're hearing the messages of John the Baptist. And they come out and they, they're listening to this prophet. I mean, this prophet who has an anointing and an authority upon him. Calling people to prepare the way for this Messiah King. Prepare the way for the Lord. And then Jesus comes out and he declares, this is the one. He is the one. So people are watching him. Jesus disappears for 40 days in the wilderness, but then he comes back out and he comes with a message. He says, I'm here to proclaim the kingdom of God. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. So we've looked at the kingdom of God, but I want to point out that the kingdom of God is now. Jesus initiated the kingdom of God 2,000 years ago. He inaugurated the kingdom of God. When he came up out of the wilderness and he went into the synagogues and he went around doing his ministry, the primary message was announcing, proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. It's come near to us. In Luke chapter 4, verse 17 through 21, we see Jesus going into the synagogue, his first recorded sermon in his ministry. And he goes back and he grabs the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens it up in the synagogue and he goes to a place that would have been a familiar scripture to those that had been raised in the synagogues, trained from youth to know the scriptures. And he found the place where it was written this portion of scripture about this anointed Messiah king who would come. And it says in verse 17, Jesus stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fixed on him. And he began by saying that. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said a mouthful right there. He read this messianic scripture and he stood up and he reads this and they're all watching him. What is he going to say? And what he has to say is today the king is being manifested. The day the kingdom is being inaugurated today. And not only that, by going to this passage of scripture, he essentially lays out the blueprint for the inauguration and the initiation of his kingdom. What does he say? Ah, I'm anointed. I'm the anointed one. And the spirit of the Lord is on me. And he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Poverty is going to be broken. 
He has anointed me to preach freedom for those who are in captivity. They are going to be broken. Their chains are going to be broken. I've come to give sight to the blind, both in the natural and in the spiritual. I've come to heal those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee was a concept well known because every 50 years in Israel, they would cancel debts and land would return to their original ancestral owners. And it was a time of celebration. And what Jesus was declaring is there's going to be not just a year of Jubilee, but a season of Jubilee, of cancellation of debts and restoration of that which has been taken away. And so he stands up and he introduces this concept, kingdom of God, and understand the culture and the timing was pregnant with this idea of kingdom of God. They were under Roman oppression. They were under Roman rule. And so it ramped up their desire for God to restore his kingdom and set them free. Of course, their concept of what God was going to do and what he actually did was a little bit different. And Jesus had to alter some of their expectations along the way. But what I want you to notice is that the kingdom of God is now because Jesus has already initiated and inaugurated it 2,000 years ago. In Luke chapter 17, it says that he was asked by the Pharisees, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So he was say, saying something about the kingdom of God is within us. He announced the kingdom of God coming into the world. He says the kingdom of God is within you. In Matthew chapter 12, we see that Jesus is setting people free, healing them, casting out demons. And his enemies can't, can't negate what he's doing. They can't deny what he's doing. I mean, people are bound and now they're free. They don't like it. They don't like that he's doing this. They don't like that everybody's celebrating that he's doing this, but they can't deny it. So they come up with another justification, another reason why he's doing this. They say, oh, he's doing that by the prince of the devil. He's, he has a relationship with the prince of demons, and that's how he's doing this. Jesus is like, check your logic, boys. You know, Satan's not that dumb. He's not going to divide himself by casting and causing his own division, because if he's done, then his whole kingdom is going to fold in on itself. But then he says something amazing and powerful. He says, the kingdom of God, he says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's come. What you're seeing is the demonstration that the kingdom of God has come. And then it says, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. See, Jesus came with an intention. John says in 1 John, he says it this way. He came to destroy the works of the devils. It also says in the Gospels that he came to set the captives free. It says that he came to seek and save that which was lost. They're not different things. They're all part of the same thing. God, as king, is coming in, and he's restoring his kingdom, and he's setting people free, and he's restoring his good reign and rule in the earth. The kingdom of God came in Jesus Christ. He inaugurated it, he announced it, he initiated it, and he demonstrated that the kingdom of God had come. So, 
If that's the case, why is the world in such bad shape? One of the most challenging questions confronting Christian faith is simply this. If Jesus really was who he said he was, if he really was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, then why is the world still in such bad shape? Why do so many people still die of hunger or cancer? Why are there still so many wars, suicide bombings? Why is there still so much slaughter taking place in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan? Why is rape used as a common tactic of war across the African continent? If Jesus is Lord and he has all power and we have the Holy Spirit and we have this powerful message called the gospel, then why aren't we more successful than we are? Why are so many marriages, even among Christians, in such bad shape? Why do so many breakups happen? Why do so many kids raised in Christian families end up barely connected to church? And why are so many churchgoers living double lives with addiction, unhappy, unfulfilled in their lives? You see, the bottom line is if Jesus is really true and he's really risen, then why is the truth not more obvious why don't more people believe what Christians believe? Why is the world not in better shape if the kingdom is now? And that brings me to my second point, and that is that the kingdom is not yet. In Luke chapter 19, verse 11, it says, While they were listening to Jesus teaching, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and he gave them each ten minus. He said, put this money to work until I come back. And then we go into an account of the entire parable that you are already probably familiar with where each one had given, been given responsibility. And then at the end, when the master returned, he gave an accounting of what they did with the responsibility that he entrusted them to. But in this, he responds because they thought that Jesus was going to introduce the kingdom right now. Many of them had come to believe he was the Messiah King. But he didn't quite fulfill all of their immediate expectations. Even John the Baptist, who prophesied and declared that he was the one, asked questions of him when he was in prison, saying, are you really the one, or should we wait for another? You see, the kingdom is now, but it's also not yet, and this is confusing. Why is this not just breaking in? I mean, if God is king, and he's all-powerful, and he is both of those things, when he breaks in, I mean... Evil should be broken in two, and everything should be restored, and all sickness goes away, and death is vanquished, and Satan is vanquished, and it's done deal. So they were confused. And they thought in Jesus' day he was going to start, he was going to establish the kingdom right then and there. And he his response is this parable: that there came a man, and he went away to a distant country to be made king. And then he entrusted his servants with certain responsibilities so that when he came back, he might receive what was his own. He was saying, this is the mystery of the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom is that it comes in two phases. It comes in an inauguration and an initiation, and it comes in its consummation. It comes in Christ's first coming, 
on a humble colt of a donkey riding into Jerusalem. The second time he comes in, he'll be riding in on a white, fiery-eyed steed as the conquering king. You see, the kingdom comes in two phases. It is here. It is now. But it is not yet. In Acts 1, 6-7, after Jesus' resurrection, he's with his disciples. And they asked him, Lord, is this the time? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And Jesus responds by saying, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Then he goes on to say that not even he knows. The Son even knows, but it's been entrusted to the Father only. But then what he says is of vital importance, but he says, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Costa Rica, <laughs> the ends of the earth. All over the earth, you will be my witnesses. My kingdom is going to spread across the earth, but not the way you thought it was going to spread. You will be empowered to do what I've done, and it will be multiplied until my glory covers the world, the earth like the waters cover the sea. You see, the kingdom of God is now, but it is also not yet. The mystery is this. It comes in two stages. In the first stage, the kingdom is going to be hidden. It is not going to be obvious. You have to look for it. You have to search for it. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Planted in the ground. You don't even see it. It's growing and you don't even know. It might even start sprouting and it's so small you ignore it. Or he says it's like yeast that's worked into dough. You put the yeast in, you don't know, you don't see it. But over time, you see the effects of the kingdom working through the entire dough. You see, the first coming in the mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom doesn't come obviously, but it does come powerfully. You see, you can have a big piece of concrete in the ground that would take sledgehammers and jackhammers to bring up, or you can plant a seed and wait for a tree to come up and just uproot that thing like nothing in a matter of time. There's power in the gospel of the kingdom of God, the seed of the kingdom of God. See, in the second stage, God's kingdom will be evident and open. It's going to be overwhelming, like a boulder from heaven that Daniel saw in his prophecy that comes and crushes every other kingdom in the world. In the first stage, God's will doesn't displace every other will. In the first stage of the kingdom coming into the world, God's will is done, but so is the will of sinful human beings. And so is the will of Satan. And so we have this mix of, yes, God's will is being done, but there's the freedom of humans to act in contradiction to that and to resist that and the will of Satan that's still operable in the world. But in the second stage of his coming, when Christ returns, there'll only be one will done on earth, just as it is in heaven. You see, the kingdom of God is how things would be if Jesus was in charge of everyone and everything and everyone was submitted to his will and his kingship. Right now, during this era, God's will doesn't always win the day because he has allowed for us to be able to resist him. We can resist and quench the Holy Spirit. He's allowed for that in his own sovereignty. The mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom of God is here, but it hasn't yet replaced every other kingdom. 
The will of God is being done, but so is the will of sinful men and women and Satan. In this age, we're running on parallel tracks, but when Christ returns, creation is all going to run on a monorail, and it'll be his kingdom and his kingdom only. While the kingdom of God was breaking into the world through Jesus, all human suffering, pain, and difficulty did not disappear. In fact, it still remains with us to this day. For Jesus, while the kingdom of God was happening in the present, it was also yet to come in the future. He talked of it often, about when the day of the Lord would come. And he would talk about how that it's future. And because of this, it's, it's caused confusion among some people. Some people think of the kingdom of God as only in the future. And so we're just kind of slugging it out and waiting for the future to come when Jesus returns and, and, and we have no expectation for anything more. Other people, they, they see the kingdom as all now and nothing of the future, that we have everything now. But the truth of the matter is, is even though we see healing and we even see people raised from the dead around the world, they're healed and raised still in a mortal and a corruptible body that will eventually die and decay. I love to see the kingdom break in. Yesterday we were in Artelita, we were ministering, and we were delivering some groceries, and there was a woman who had a migraine headache. She said a pain level of nine out of 10. She was in excruciating pain, and we prayed with her, and Maury was with us, and JD was with us, and Anita and her daughter was there. We prayed for this lady in an instant. She'd been suffering this chronically had been suffering all day with it and in an instant for just a couple minutes of prayer this thing went down from a to practically nothing just went away what happened the kingdom of god broke in to that situation where we gather together and in our faith brought agreement we create a vortex between heaven and earth god loves it when we bring agreement on earth with heaven and the kingdom breaks in and I've seen it, some of you guys know our story where Belinda was healed of cancer and, 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 and was miraculously healed in San Jose Hospital. It's really miraculous because it happened in San Jose. <laughs> but she was healed in the San, you know, there and she recovered miraculously. And we've seen so many stories. I wish I had time to talk about all of the healing stories of a woman with metal in her foot that limped and we prayed for in Saudi Nile and she was healed instantly. I ran into her a year later and she was still completely healed. Doctors amazed because they expected to do another two or three surgeries and months of physical therapy, but all she needed was a few moments of the kingdom breaking in through our prayers. I love it when the kingdom of God breaks in. We carry the kingdom. The kingdom of God is within us. And I love celebrating those stories. I love moments of worship when it just feels like the atmosphere just is, is thick with the presence of God. It's like heaven has come to earth in our presence, and, and it has. Amen. We get to taste and see the kingdom of God. But, but the truth is, is we don't have it all yet. It's really, really good. I want you to taste it. I want you to see that it's good. But the best is still yet to come. It's like, it's like going to the movies and seeing a really, really good trailer for a movie. You're like, man, I want to see that movie. We get to see trailers right now of God breaking in and bringing healing. Of This is someday, this is going to be just complete, done. But right now, you get a preview. You want to sign up? <laughs> you want to join this kingdom? You want to serve this king? Because he's amazing. This is Jesus. And so we do it, or, or this great banquet feast that Jesus talked about. We get to get samples 
You know, you're going like preparing for a wedding and you might do some samples of some foods that you're going to have for a wedding celebration ceremony. Like, yeah, that's really good. I don't really like that. But you know, we get to taste now the banquet of the future in the present. We get foretastes of the glory that is to come here and now. And we get to live in that. We get to carry that because we are citizens of the kingdom and we are children of the king. But we still live in a world where there are other wills at play and where not all the enemies have yet been vanquished. The scriptures tell us the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. I hate death. The pastor, I've done a number of funerals and family, I've done funerals and we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve, we grieve for the loss, but we know it's temporary because we have a hope in Jesus Christ. But I still... It stings. There's still a sting. It's still pain. There's still grief. I hate death. But you know what? There's going to come a day when death will be completely eradicated and vanquished. And you know what the guarantee is? Jesus already did it. And he wasn't raised again in a corruptible and mortal body like Lazarus and the widow's son and everybody else that he raised from the dead who eventually died because they were raised into a more corruptible body. But he came out of the tomb in an incorruptible and an immortal body, a body that can no longer be corrupted by these earthly elements and is no longer subject to death or sickness and disease. And it says that he is the firstborn from among the dead and we will be like him. We'll be raised like we'll have incorruptible, immortal bodies. That's a promise. I, I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm glad that 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 this isn't just the now. <laughs> this isn't just the kingdom now that I get. But that there's a not yet that's still coming, and it's gonna be good. It's gonna be better. It's gonna blow your mind. But we get to taste it in the here and now. So the mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom of God is now. We can pray and see it break in. But it's also not yet because I've also prayed for people and prayed for people and prayed for people and not seen breakthrough. Here in Costa Rica, many Christians were just praying a few weeks ago for a breakthrough in elections. But it didn't happen the way many of them thought it would. And I've prayed for people that needed healing on their deathbeds and they still died. The truth of the matter is, is there are times we are reminded, painfully reminded, that we still live in part of the not yet. But if we don't recognize that we're living in this tension of the now and not yet, we can either become so disappointed and discouraged because we didn't see the breakthrough, but what it really should do is just make us hungry for more that's available to us now and for what will come. We haven't tasted and seen it all yet. I don't want to become content with only what God, what we've experienced of God when God says there's so much more. C.S. Lewis said it this way. So many times we, we, we are like kids playing in toxic mud puddles in the slums because they don't have any idea what it's like to have a vacation at the beach. And as believers, we're called to be able to live the beach instead of playing in the puddles. There's so much more that's available to us than what we've held on to, what we've grabbed a hold of. And so we live in this tension. 
And if we go one way or the other too much, we can go into cessationism that says God doesn't do that anymore. That was temporary. God doesn't heal anymore. Because, yes, I've heard stories about I'm healing, but I prayed for this person and they weren't healed. And so I just don't believe it anymore. Or on the other hand, we can just live in denial or blame the person. Well, they would have gotten healed, but they didn't have enough faith. And then we lay a guilt trip and shame trips on top of people unintentionally or maybe intentionally because they're not healed. No, we live in the tension of the mystery of the kingdom of God that it is here and it is now, but it is not yet fully here. But the kingdom of God is breaking in and we're seeing more and more of it breaking in. You see, sometimes I'm praying for prayers and it's like hitting a big, huge boulder with a sledgehammer. And I'm hitting that thing trying to get a breakthrough in my life. Maybe it's health, maybe it's finances, maybe it's relationship, maybe it's some bondage, break, stronghold. I'm trying to break, and I'm just hammering that thing and I'm not getting anywhere. And I beat that thing and I beat that thing and I've been praying against that thing and declaring against that thing for a long time. And I could easily give up and say, that's not gonna happen. Or I can keep hammering away and go to my brothers and sisters in Christ and share with them my burden because we're called to bear one another's burdens. And they can grab their sledgehammers and they can begin praying with me. And we're hitting that thing. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. And we're hitting that thing and we're hammering away and we get tired and somebody else encourages us and we keep hammering away at that thing. And then all of a sudden, crack. And there starts to be a breakthrough. It starts, something starts to happen. You're thinking, man, if I'd have hit it like that the first time, it would have taken this long. But the truth of the matter is, is it's not how you swung that hammer. It was the accumulation of all of those blows going on. There's no prayers that are wasted. It's just often we give up too quickly. We can get more breakthrough than what we've experienced if we don't give in to disappointment and discouragement, which the enemy works overtime to try to get us. And then he tries to sell us a theology that doesn't just uh, uh, make it easy for him to operate, but actually helps him do what he's doing. That's what we sometimes do. You see, but we keep getting breakthrough, and sooner or later we can see things happen. And soon in a community, as people are coming together, we can see breakthrough of revival happen as God's spirit begins to move, as people become awakened from the spiritual death that they have and start to see the one who is life and the one who is light and the one who brings freedom. You see, the kingdom of God is breaking in and God has authorized you and me as children of God to carry the kingdom of God and he's given us authority to release and help bring breakthrough of the kingdom of God into other people's lives. What you and I do matters. What you and I don't do matters. You see, World War II, D-Day, has been memorialized in movies like Saving Private Ryan and in series like Band of Brothers and other things. And it is made for cinema that has inspired and captivated people for ever since it happened. It was a powerful thing that happened on D-Day because they put so much of their risk on what would happen on June 6, 1944. 
as UK and USA and Canada came together with their forces and they came in to Normandy Beach and they brought in 156,000 soldiers that would invade. They knew it would be bloody, they knew it would be risky, but they just thought we're gonna concentrate all of our forces, all of our information tells us that this is the breaking point. Hitler had already expanded his Nazi regime all over Europe. It was growing rapidly. The atrocities and the stories coming out of what was going on in the concentration camps were horrendous. And people were motivated and mobilized not just to go to war, but to go to war against evil. Because this was the epitome of what was happening is evil. And it was spreading like a cancer all over Europe. And so they concentrated all of their efforts and made their calculations. And they said, this is do or die. And they went in and they stormed Normandy Beach. And it was bloody. 4,000 of our soldiers died. Canadian, UK, and US soldiers died in one day in that invasion. And, but it was successful. In the back of Hitler... His power was broken. And all historians today agree that that was the turning point of the war. From that point on, while Hitler had been advancing, from that point on, he never advanced again. He continued to lose power and lose strength throughout Europe, and that broke his power. But it wasn't VE Day yet. It was another 11 months of grueling fighting that took place between May 7th, between June 6, 1944, and VE Day of May 7, 1945, when they finally got the Germans' unconditional surrender in Europe. Eleven months, and many, many, many more lives were lost between D-Day and VE Day. But the power of Hitler had been broken, and that was the turning tide of the war. Historians agree, if that had been unsuccessful, Europe would be a very, very different place to this day. But they were successful. You see, for us as believers, we have a D-Day as well. It's 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came down and he announced the kingdom of God is at hand. And he went toe-to-toe with Satan. And Satan tried to deceive him and offer him shortcuts to the kingdoms of the world, but Jesus resisted every temptation. And he went through and he exercised his authority and power over sickness and over demons and over death. And he showed him, but then he went to the cross. And Everybody didn't understand. Not even Satan understood. The Bible says that if he had understood, he would have never done it. He would have never crucified him. But they crucified Jesus. But in that death, he brought our freedom because he took our penalty. He took our condemnation upon himself. And in his death, we were free. And he went in the tomb and three days later he came up victorious over hell and over death and over sin and over Satan. He came out victorious. It was D-Day. Satan's power was broken. And it's still broken. But he's still an active will in the earth. He has no more authority over a believer than what we inadvertently give him through the deception that he uses to gain authority in our lives.